0: In the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network.
1: Good Thursday, a day early here on Sandos in the sidekick. Somebody's going to have some surgery tomorrow, and what I'm hoping is we can get a five-minute recording right afterwards of the babbles of Mike Gallagher after the wisdom teeth are out. Can you do a random play-by-play? I mean, we can set this up, I'm sure. I mean, we can get somebody to record you for five minutes, in a stupor, all drugged out uh, with your wisdom teeth. I heard
0: you're not supposed to talk for like 8 to 12 hours. Do you think I'm able to pull that off? Uh, no. 8 to 12 hours, not minutes. Unless you slept through it, which could be possible. Then I think as soon as you
1: awake and take the next round of meds, let's get it then. Let's just before Saturday night. Let's 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 get some official five-minute playbook.
0: Are you suggesting that I don't sleep tonight in preparation for the surgery?
1: No, I'm thinking no, oh, okay. you, you'll be asleep. <laughs> I've been – I did my – I don't remember. I, the first day, I remember going in, and I think I did the laughing gas, if I remember correctly, and then come out of there, and I remember getting home and dribbling, just slobber yeah. all over me, and then yeah. I pretty much don't remember until, like, later that afternoon, the next day, is my first real recollections of anything going on. So like I, actual memories, like you didn't have right, anything. Right, I don't – wow. I, I, my buddy came over, rented two movies, and – Apparently, I sat on the couch and slept through two movies while I watched two movies. So, I appreciate my buddy coming over, but uh, it was to no I think I was a senior in
0: high school, maybe? During
1: Christmas break. Well, I
0: these have know. to be really stupid movies. Like, am I going to be in any state yeah. where I'm going to be able to comprehend, like, plot twists? No, thing. you need, like,
1: National Lampoon, mm-hmm. stupid, funny, slapstick, you know, Vince Vaughn. Dark something. Side of the Ring?
0: I'm in the middle of that. Uh, no, I wouldn't watch now. that. No, Dark no, Side of the Ring? I wouldn't watch that. I would watch okay. uh,
1: any slappy, slapstick Adam Sandler.
0: Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I don't know what
1: your comedy taste is, but whatever Hearing is yours, I guess I'm not
0: surprised considering this is coming from you. Like, hearing what you would watch in this state, I'm like, this is exactly what I pictured.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're not... I mean, <laughs> the pieces I, are falling I mean, place. for you, like a Harry Potter, you could probably <laughs> watch all of those. You <laughs> well, know, know. know, something with a hobbit and a ring. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm not real sure. sure. But, what would well, you watch? Anyways, that would be accurate. right, let's take us. All right, uh, so we're coming a little bit early, so you get a chance uh, Thursday evening or... Friday, listen to the podcast. No games this weekend, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But we did have a game a couple days ago down in Knoxville, ETSU on the road at Tennessee. And considering some of the things going into it, thinking obviously Tennessee fresh off like a 40-point beatdown of a very solid Western Kentucky Hilltopper team, not knowing some of the things going into it, not really knowing Tennessee's roster because they had a game Last year, but no one ETSU gave Tennessee a run for the money. Not shocking to me, since there were some players back that Tennessee was able to kind of hang in there. And at halftime, a ten-point game really started the third quarter. Though Tennessee flexed a little, but they never could run away with the game.
0: Yeah, Coach Iselle said after the game that she was not happy with the beginning of that third quarter. It was a pretty quick ten-nothing run. It wasn't like up and down the court, a lot of transition baskets. And I actually thought that that was one of the Really good signs out of that game for ETSU is that transition-wise, defensively, there really weren't the, as Steve Forbes used to say, you reference it on the broadcast sometimes, the quote-unquote atomic bombs where you have a turnover that leads to an easy run out, two on nothing, you know, lay up at the rim. Uh, if I saw the stats right, and I'll go back and look now, four fast break points for Tennessee, just four, two for ETSU. This was much more of a, a slugfest, you know. Tennessee had to rely on their size, and it is a lot of size, 6'5". Tamari Key came in and had some success off the bench, but even the Bucks limited her to... 2-for-2 two two from the field, 6 points, 5 rebounds. That's a nice day off the bench in 15 minutes, but she wasn't nearly as dominant after the first couple of minutes on the court as I thought she would be. So I thought limiting Tennessee in transition, especially with their athletes, Ray Burrell, Renia Davis, Jordan Horston is freakish, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, 6-2, and a handle as good as you'll see in all of uh, women's college basketball. Um, so they've got some big players. They've got some really good athletes. And I thought outside of that 10 nothing run at the beginning of the third quarter, I mean, you maybe can say that they were the better team that be in Tennessee by a bit, you know, a smidge, a small margin. Um, I didn't think it was very evident, though, that they were a team that blew out Western Kentucky, that they were a team that has been to every NCAA tournament since it started being sanctioned on the women's side in 1981-82. I thought, all in all, it was a game and a night where one team came out looking like they are going to have a lot of success in their league, and another team looked like they have a ways to go.
1: I think when you take a look at the game, and I was kind of curious how the game be called, right, because you go play a power five. ETSU was able to get a lot more free throws at home last year. And really, honestly, there was a one-foul difference. I mean, the attempts at the free throw line were minimal, you know, 18 to 13. So, fairly clean game. ETSU went from 32 turnovers to 22 turnovers. Now, I thought they would have to get to, you know, 12 to 14 with a, a chance. But they were able to force Tennessee – into 24 turnovers, and it never seemed like, except for a couple of spurts, that Tennessee never got in a flow like they did against Western Kentucky. And So defensively, I think, similar to where I was raving about the men in the tournament, I think the same for the women's team. I think they're far beyond defensively further than I thought they would probably be, and I think that's a good sign moving forward. And I think you look at the just the numbers in general. I mean, Tennessee just—and I know they may not be the best—you know—three-point shooting team in America, but they were four of 14 from the outside. I mean, 44%. But again, they had a couple of uh, chances to get some buckets inside with the
0: size, with the height. But only plus 12 on the glass, though. Like to me, that seems like a really only, tiny number.
1: I mean, and, and second chance points, they made a little bit anyway. But it yeah. was still. 14 offensive rebounds, and ETSU had 10 offensive right. rebounds. So, again, there's, you look at a lot of the numbers, and other than maybe the steals where Tennessee had 16 of the 22 turnovers came on steals, where ETSU had nine turnovers off the 24. Uh, yeah, nine steals off the 24 turnovers for Tennessee. So I think defensively, again, considering you're going to Power 5, you're going up against all that size, you know, athleticism, all that SEC, I think ETSU held its own. There were just a couple little stretches where Tennessee looked like the Power Five team, but I thought ETSU did a great job of just getting them out of sync. Even if they got on a ten-zero spurt or something like that, it seemed like they couldn't quite put the bucks away.
0: When you got a Tennessee team where every woman on the floor. Regardless, top to bottom, who they run out. I think it's a thirteen woman roster this year. All of them except two are six feet or taller. And on the box, there's only five players that are six feet or taller. And a lot of those six footers for Tennessee are six foot four, six foot five. Uh, Cassie uh, Kushkitotawa she's six foot four you know key as I mentioned six foot five the guards are huge and so you're giving away sometimes six or eight inches in those matchups and so to only be minus 12 after Tennessee out rebounded Western Kentucky I think it was 56 to 32 uh, really impressive I think for the Bucs. they're gonna be a team that I think scraps and goes and gets loose balls and Team-wise, and you can see this in Kaya Upton's numbers, eight rebounds the first game, five in the second game. Team-wise, they're all going to crash the glass. I thought Ja'Kaya Davis was great again, and she's the first player – uh, in the Zell era that is a freshman to have led the box in their first two games of a season in scoring. So only freshman over the eight years Coach Zell has had here to lead the team in scoring her first two collegiate games. 11 points, six rebounds. Really enjoyed being back in front of her home fans. Uh, there weren't as many fans there. I know they reported 2,200. I said about 1,200 to 1,500. And some others that were there that I talked to thought that both of us were extremely high and it was less than 1,000. But Bearden High School, Knoxville native, uh, she didn't look like she was outmatched by the size of that arena, the size of the other team, or that stage, really.
1: I think it's been encouraging what what she's been able to do. Eleven and six, five of seven from the floor. I think it's just very. I mean, which she had a three pointer too, yep. which I forgot about yep. until I just saw a stat sheet. I remember she did when I saw it, but I think all the things she's got some tools. If she stays and continues to grow, got got a shot. Not predicting, you know, one of the greatest fall times, but has a shot to be a special player, if it continues to come. I mean, just game two, crack the starting lineup. I think it's also going to help once Elise Stafford starts to get some shots to go down, once Jasmine Sanders starts to have – because those are two scores that I think are not going to continue stru- – similar to talking about the men, there's some similarities between the men's and women's teams this year as far as on the floor and some statistical things, I think. But I think at least Stafford's going to be the player that we know she is. And Jasmine Sanders, we've seen in practice last year which she couldn't play and so far this year, hasn't translated yet. But, again, we're talking about those players' size, athleticism going up against Tennessee, having maybe another struggle against Vandy. I'll be curious, post-Tennessee-Vandy, how those two players go. Because as they get better, I think that only opens it up more for Ja'Kai
0: Davis. I'm not worried about – Jasmine Sanders, I think the expectation with her when she was getting her feet back under, and maybe even throughout the year and uh, hopefully not as much in her senior year, but I think the expectation was she was going to be a streaky scorer. Uh, That high arcing and long-range three, you know, there's a lot of room for error with that. Um, She doesn't strike me as someone because she does like to play that outside game uh, and because she can get sometimes a little bit out of control offensively. She's extremely talented. I don't blame her for trusting her gifts at any point on the floor, but I think the expectation was she was going to be a little bit streaky scoring, why she's 4 of 19 from the floor. Um, the thing with Elise Stafford, and this is what does concern me about Elise, is I didn't think she had a particularly good fall and lead up to the season, um, I was probably at you know 12 to 14 practices from, um, I'd say, beginning of September on, uh, and uh, it just didn't look like a player that was going to take giant steps forward. I didn't envision this kind of start. Uh, four of 19 as well for Elise. She has been so consistent, is so talented when it comes to scoring. And so the early struggles do, you know, worry me a bit. That being said, let's remember that with Elise Stafford and Shania Jackson, who, you know, I'm also worried about. Ten minutes, two points, I'm um, just can't seem to find the flow right now. Let's remember that their best basketball came in the conference season. They are only about a year and a half removed from barely playing at all on this team. So, yes, while production-wise right now, considering those are your top two scorers returning from last year's team, there is reason for concern. Those players improved markedly once conference play came along. So I think in these non-conference games, of which there are only, at this point, uh, four left, um, the Presbyterian game is still up in the air. Coach Zell talked with you about it on the Coach's Show on Monday, talked with me about it off air before the Tennessee game. That's still up in the air. Um, it's not for sure canceled, not for sure on. hope to have more information on that in the coming days. But I think that if you can get Stafford and Jackson, these non-conference games, the four or five that there are left, back into a comfortable rhythm and get the, I don't know if it's nervous energy, if it's just rust from not really getting a normal year of preparation under your belt, uh, whatever it is, get these games out of the way, and once conference season hits, as long as they're able to step into that flow that they did last year during the conference year, no harm, no foul to me.
1: I agree, and I think, the you know, again, I think first game of the year is what it is, Tennessee-Vandy is what it is, it's three road games. Then if the Presbyterian game, which still has a shot to happen, Then you get a home game, curious to see what happens. Still, I think, a a nice road test at Davidson. I wouldn't panic after the first four games, all road, all trying to figure things out. Get a chance, a couple of games, App State, Newberry, to get kind of going one before Christmas, one before the New Year. Then you get into league action. So I kind of wait to see once they get in Brooks. But App's going to be a little bit more of their speed. Presbyterian's going to be more of their speed. I thought Longwood was more of their speed. They just didn't score well, but enough to win the basketball game. Davidson's, you know, I think they might have a shot to go there. If they get some shots to go down, they certainly have a great opportunity uh, to go down and beat Davidson there in uh, Lake Norman, North Carolina, just north of Charlotte. So I think there's an opportunity for them to get better. Certainly you would assume people can get right in Newberry. No offense to Newberry, but that should be a get-right game right before you get into league play and, and the action, and I know that's going to probably change uh, – here in a day or so as well.
0: One other thing from this contest, and I did go back and I was finally able to find the stat. The last time ETSU won with 32 turnovers or more was nearly a decade ago, January 21st, 2011, against USC Upstate, like a 64-42 game, where Upstate shot the ball at a 19% clip for the entire afternoon. The Bucs overcoming 36 turnovers to get that W. Turnover number was way down, in this game against Tennessee. 22, I'm sure not what Coach Giselle wants. Get that lower to, you know, that 14 to 16 range during conference play, you're going to be in great shape. But against the University of Tennessee, who have such size, who are going to be able to out-athlete you to limit it to 22, you turn them over 24 times. And I saw they put out a fun little tweet uh, saying it was like taking candy from a baby with the 16 steals that they had, which is pretty funny, because, again, I thought that ETSU came out looking like the better team to where you'd expect them to be versus where Tennessee you would expect them to be out of that contest. But when you are able to force more turnovers against the Power Five than they're able to force you into, um, big, big improvement there for the Bucks, especially considering the level of competition was so much higher than it was the long-wind game.
1: That is an interesting Tweet that came out. wasn't too happy about it. That, uh, happy it, is, about it. is that a little bit of the little brother comment? Sometimes you get a little sister comment in this situation where it's you know big 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 sister little sister deal. Real cute, it, yeah. you know, a- in it's state kind of oh nice try, but uh, that's in, that is anybody nice.
0: that watched the game. I can guarantee you would look at that comment and be like, well, they're trying to save a little bit of face because they didn't exactly look like the far better team yesterday.
1: <sighs> I Guess they're selling the seventeen point win, but <laughs> I just get right off the forty again. You know, Tennessee fans, uh, especially on the women's side, you know, you expect excellence, you expect 40-point beatdowns, and when you don't get it, I guess that's that's, that's what you go with. Got to save face. All right, next game for ETSU. Might be the 12th. If it's not, then ETSU will be on the road Vandy, on Friday. About Vandy? Oh, Vandy, December 8th. That's right, that's right. Next Tuesday, I'm that's sorry. That's a game
0: that we'll preview either Monday or Tuesday, depending on how my mouse is feeling.
1: Well, that's fair. Yeah. Oh, I hope we cannot wait for this. Yeah. Kind of hope we get Look-ins, uh, from <laughs> my look-ins from my yeah. couch. We're gonna send some that. interns or do something. Do I let Jay Santos
0: into my home? No, I do not. No, I would not. No, why would, so. no, well, well, would you? All right, what do we
1: got? Uh, men's stat breakdown. You said yeah. you got for me. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of curious about this. What's up, side, for a timeout on Saint Osage? on am Sports Network. Over the last seventy years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks,
0: but we've remained the same
1: trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision. To deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge. New name. Renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com.
0: The biggest stories. The hard-hitting details. The in-depth investigative reporting you've been craving. Can be found at ESPN, The Athletic, and The Associated Press. Now, here's someone not named Adrian Wojnarowski, Ian Rapoport, or Bruce Feldman. Mike Gallagher at the news desk. ETSU men's basketball is attempting to schedule a game this Saturday. Georgia Southern, Jay Sandoz is what I've heard. Georgia Southern is going to be the opponent for ETSU. Deal nearly done. Ike Smith and Quan Jackson, their two leading scorers from last year, are gone. Hey, hey, is it? Whoa, whoa. Is a cr- is a cr- Wait, what? Scheduled.
1: Two hours later, canceled. 2020. Why didn't anybody tell me? 2020. What I'm, sorry? It? It. I'm sorry you made a whole
0: news segment. I, I could have stopped this earlier. I didn't. Uh, so I got to cut off the news? Like, this is not news. I am. Uh, I mean, it was new, it was
1: news that we had a game. It might be news that we canceled the game. It didn't even hit anybody's schedules. But, uh, yeah, for about two and a half hours, we had a game on Saturday.
0: Really? In Freedom Hall. And that and is that not we, a thing now. It is not. It is not. My sheet says that I no, should. Wrong. It says make news you, announcement.
1: You have uh, No. This is 2020. No. This is this is the the vid the covid.
0: I had a lot this more at Georgia Southern. I mean, no, I just, no, you don't. Okay. No, no.
1: I mean, you can have more, but they're not going to play. No. Oh. So unless um, you know some Sunbelt basketball fans really want to hear the breakdown, that uh, that that's very unfortunate. But that's the way it went. We uh, sounded like we were close. We were frantic mode, make sure Freedom Hall was ready, hmm. getting ready to put out the release, waiting on the typical, waiting on the contract to come back signed, and then it's, uh, yeah, we're not going to do it. So
0: That would have been crazy, a little three-day buffer for you to get a whole stadium ready and get the news out and mm-hmm. get the teams ready. We and, could have had you
1: in the studio, all yeah, uh, yeah. wisdom teeth out. Yeah, of, uh, that's right. Cotton balls. At, uh, Everybody has to
0: spring into action, you know, that, that's I'm how it understand. works. Are you a
1: team player or are you not? Do you play hurt or do you not? You're a broadcaster. Of course you don't play hurt. We don't play
0: well, sorry for uh, the false alarm. I guess that's, got, uh, uh, wow. got excited. I've yeah. got, like, Elijah McFadden stats. He's early in the score. No, you're not interested. No, okay. no, no, I'm not. Okay. Well. What um, else you got? I blew up the whole <laughs> segment. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> and, uh, I was looking forward to about a 15-minute, you know, back and forth on Georgia Southern. Well, go no, go I got plenty I'm of George,
1: uh, Georgia Southern stories because if, we, <laughs> if we would
0: have played down there,
1: the one thing that they did have going for them was the broadcast booth for the visiting team is in a crow's nest up in the, Rafters, so they've already been working on social distancing for like thirty years for the opposing play. But play-up. this game was supposed to be heat. But this no, game was okay. going to be in Freedom Hall. Yeah, it's not so happening at so all. Yeah,
0: it's not there. Sorry. Right, so you, you okay, got well, fans we're...
1: excited for like ten seconds, Sorry. and then I ruined it. Now okay. now you made me be the bad guy. so okay. I don't appreciate that.
0: Well, I always do like doing that. Uh, let's go over some stats. I, I want to just talk about the progression from 2018-19 team to 2019-20 team and then kind of bring it back to the first three games here. And I know you kind of nod off whenever I go into a long rambling dissertation and no one blames you. But uh, this is going to take me like three or four minutes, you know, so I'll, wake, me. I'll wake you up when it's over. Um, Jason Shea has been here for all these years. That's obviously the common theme. And the strides were so big last year, I'd like to look at those first three games this year at the Gulf Coast Showcase after we go through these. So I'm going to go over the top 50 ETSU stat categories, not our 50 stats, just what they were top 50 in in the nation in stats in 2018-19, the strides made in 2019-20, and where you think strides need to be made this year to get back to those top 50-type performances. So, second in the nation in rebounding margin in 2018-19. You remember that. It was Jeremy Rodriguez, Maude Narmis, took a little bit of a step back in that category in 2019-20 because Rodriguez was out for seven weeks with a foot. while Narmis, of course, transferred to Boise State. Still, though, 48th in the country. 30th in the nation in the 2018-19 season in assists per game. Your top six in assists came back, slid a little bit to 108th in the country in assists. 14th in the nation in field goal percentage. 27th in the nation in scoring margin. 35th in scoring offense. 49th in the nation in steals. Now, you're outside the top 150 in fouls, turnovers, field goal percentage defense, free throw attempts, free throws made, free throw percentage, three-point percentage defense, and turnover margin. Go to 2019-20 fast forward. Had so much back so much talent on the floor. You were 17th in the nation in field goal percentage, 26th in free throw attempts, 43rd in free throw is made. Rebound margin 48, scoring defense 25th, scoring margin 8th in the country, scoring offense 46th, steals 12, three point percentage defense 35th, total assists 43rd, turnover margin 15th, turnovers forced 33rd in the nation. There were some areas that were still not quite where you'd want them to be, but you listen to those two categories, 2018-19 to 2019-20, you heard a lot more top 50s in 2019-20. Some things the Bucks did not improve. Still fouled a lot, and that's one of the directions I'm going with this. 277th in the country in 2019-20 after being 232nd in the country in 2018-19. Did get more turnovers and held opponents to seven points per game below what they did the previous year, so those fouls really didn't hurt ETSU. If anything, maybe it was the smart fouls, the – Uh, Those fouls that would limit easy points. Uh, Fewer turnovers offensively in 2019-20. 173rd, but still a 135-spot improvement from the year before. 308th to 173rd in terms of turnovers offensively. Field goal percentage defense went from 159 up four spots from the year prior. So you're 163 up to 159. Still outside that top 150. Free throw percentage. You were 225th in 2019-20, but that was up 77 spots from the year before. So still outside the top 50, but still improvement. And then rebounds per game, we talked about, there are 166 down 152 spots. Struggled on the defensive board. So maybe that's an item where you look at, again, the personnel, and that's understandable, but one you'd certainly like to improve. But you look at those categories where ETSU did make just huge strides. Turnovers, as we talked about, free throw attempts and free throws made, Three-point percentage defense, and I think that was a huge one that you and me and talked about. Coach Forbes did as well. Turnover margin from 156th in the country to 15th. Three-point percentage defense was 330th to 35th, a 295-spot improvement. Field goal percentage defense just up those few spots as we talked about. Really the only thing, aside from rebounding where you took a step back, the only thing where there weren't market improvements in areas that the Bucs were trying to address and go out of their way to get that much better in was fouling. Look at those first three games for ETSU this year. He had 26 fouls. Game one, I believe it was 20, then 17. Already big improvements, and I know that's something Jason Shea talked about after day one of the Gulf Coast Showcase. Listening to all those stats, where the Bucks improved from 2018-19 to 2019-20, knowing what Jason Shea is emphasizing, as you do, because you talk a lot to him, not only on air but off air, where do you think this team is going to need to address in order to be a team that's A 2019-20 where it's complete, well-oiled and together for the most part um, versus the 2018-19 team where there was maybe still a lot of individual ball, some areas where the Bucs looked at and said, wow, we're not good at this. There really wasn't much of that from ETSU last year. You had a hard time finding something the Bucs did consistently not up to par. What do you look at with this year's team, knowing what Jason Shea and Steve Forbes improved upon from the 2018-19 to 2019-20
1: seasons? I think it's mainly offense right now. I think the rebounding was much better than I anticipated, and other than Terry Taylor being a player of the year in the OVC being Terry Taylor down at the tournament where nobody stopped him from 20 and 10 in every game, no matter who he played. Other than that, I thought ATSU did a great job rebounding, gang rebounding, different people leading the rebound, different, I think they were four guys that had eight or more rebounds in the three games. There were six guys that had six or more rebounds in games, so I think there is a, a good chance for the gang rebound mentality sort of nobody is sitting back and sometimes I think that was the problem last year was people, when Jerome Rodriguez was in the game, people just assumed he was going to go get it and sometimes they didn't help out and that led to different uh, opportunities for teams or he couldn't get the offensive rebounds. he's the only guy going for the offensive board. I think rebounding is a thing that has impressed me and will might be better will be the one uptick but offensively the offense the efficiency which I don't know if you read it on but I know that's down quite a bit from where they were now some of that's because they're not hitting open shots not a bunch of other things I think offensively shooting the basketball they've got to improve I think assists decision-making turnovers they've got to improve. I think it's more on the offensive end right now defensively they look pretty good Um they're defending the three-point line. That was a huge emphasis last year. Coach Shea was certainly there and listening to that when they had to try to defend the, the three-point line because the year before I think they had given up the worst or the highest percentage uh, of threes overall season uh, in the history of the school. So I know, And I know the game has turned into more threes, and they're developing more three-point shooters. But certainly that's something ETSU was trying to focus on. So defensively, you know, besides fouling, and I, I think some of that at the tournament, Got better as the teams got in a little bit of a flow. I think some of that got better. The referees got a little better of a flow. I, I mean, I think game one was game one for everybody, uh, at least to down at the tournament. There were uh, 46 fouls in ETSU game. There was 47 fouls in the second game. The third game, I think they had 41 fouls, and the next ETSU game was 38,000, and then it went down. So the fouls went down. Players figured it out. I think the referees, again, maybe figured it out, called it a little bit different. So, fouling, I could I could see. I think they're doing what they should defensively. But right now, offensively, I think they have more – could have more firepower this year. Um, I haven't seen it yet, and that doesn't mean it won't happen. You know, and there were times that I think last year's team had, you know, what was it, seven, eight different scores? I think they had seven true different leading scores. They had an eighth guy tie. Uh, for the most points, you and Kevin
0: Brown can argue about that all day, right? And
1: but still, there's eight. Of, I mean, I could see this team having the possibility of seven or eight different guys. But I really think when it's all said and done, there's going to be two or three more of the 2017, like a three-headed monster type attack, than maybe last year with that. And again, you can get, I think, a game where uh, a Decade could could get to 12 or 14 and lead in scoring. I think there's. You know, certainly Sherelle Smith hasn't shot the ball real well, particularly yet. You saw the Ty Brewer has the ability to do so. David Sloan's probably got the ability to do it. We know what Ladarius Brewer, I think Demari Monsanto. So I think there's, you know, there's six or seven guys that could do it when they put it all together and don't turn it over. Some of the turnovers I think is frustrating, at least in the first weekend, was a lot of the unforced turnovers. And I think that's where a lot of it is. But the strides – I think, have to be made more on the offensive end right now. Now, that could change once you get into league play, but right now I think defensively they're doing a pretty good job.
0: So knowing the Bucks were top 50 in the nation last year in field goal percentage, free throw attempts, free throws made, scoring margins, scoring offense, total assists and turnover margin, and went from 308th in the country in turnovers to 173rd from 2018-19 to 2019-20. Went from outside the top 150 in the country in free throw attempts and free throws made to top 45 in 2019-20 that their free throw percentage went up nearly 3%, and that their turnover margin went from 156th to 15th in the country. Does that give you, because Jason Shea is still here and everything is so recent in his mind from coming off one of the best offensive teams in ETSU history, and he is such an X's and O's guy, one of the best in the region, if not the country, in diagnosing things offensively, does that give you extra hope, extra faith that these offensive struggles are just that? offensive struggles early rather than something that will stick with the Bucs long-term?
1: I think, you know, game one, every everything was bad. We've already talked about it. I just think everything was bad. Game two, much better spacing, ball movement, getting their shots. I think the third game, as the shot clock went down, you started to see somebody like Ladarius Brewer kind of take it upon himself um, to try to make something happen, and I think that that's going to be the key, identifying your roles. Okay, run the yeah. offense, and then when you get eight, ten seconds – who do we get the ball to to make a play I think they have to get on their offense a little quicker I think you know I think just the style that coach Shea and how he wants to run the offense needs a few extra seconds and I think I don't know if it's where David Sloan played at Kansas State or just his style but it was a little bit of a slow walk up the court and sometimes like taking nine seconds to get across the timeline with no pressure I think they got to get you know, you know, if you can get there with five seconds or, you know, at least give yourself three or four more seconds. You want to play out it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're making the defense only work 20 seconds as opposed to 25, 26 seconds, certainly that leads to can you get open shots or not. So I think the offensive end where tissue made great strides the previous year, those would be my concerns where they would slide back in, in, in some of those. I think defensively, I, th- I think they'll be okay. I think, you know, they got a shot to being similar. Uh, to where they were last year. I think it's those offensive numbers that you talk about with getting to the free throw line, the free th- uh, the field goal percentage. Again, I think if you look at their offensive efficiency, it shot up off the roof last year. So there's a lot of things offensively that turn the corner. I think Jason Shea has some pieces there, once everybody figures out, that can get to there. I think when you look at total numbers, though, because it could take them 10 games, that those numbers are obviously going to be slid back because ETSU was hitting on – all cylinders pretty much from game one through the championship game against Wofford. And so I think that's where you're going to see a setback, even if they got better 10 games in the year and took off the first 10 games, I think are going to drag those stats back down.
0: That's all the stats I got. We don't have to talk about this a lot because I know we're going to break down PTSU UNCA. That's a December 8th contest Tuesday night from the Harris Cherokee Center. But, is that going to be weird for you, Harris-Cherokee Center? Have you ever been to a game at the Harris-Cherokee Center in a non-Southern Conference tournament setting, non-March setting? Will it be strange uh, for a number of reasons? No, I, I, have,
1: uh, I have not been there for a non-Conference game to call, and I did watch the Maui just to see what the setup was like, so at least I know what kind of was going into. I do know, though, it'll be familiar because they are setting – they left the setup for the Maui just like the Southern Conference and are leaving it up. So where I broadcast from and all that will be the exact same spot. So that part will be a little familiar. Are they having fans? No. It's like Maui. So they've got some bleachers pulled in. they got some cutouts on the lower level, and they put some backdrops down so it doesn't it'll, – it'll be different. Is it, the Jay Sandoz
0: cutout front row?
1: It is not. Hmm, well, I mean, well, I don't know. Hoping the nosebleeds? I'm not – who even paid for that? <laughs> who wants to see that? Nobody. Well, you'd be far That's enough
0: away. I, I do that. know.
1: Well, I, you know. I'll, I'll be live and in person if you want the real thing. it. Okay. All right. What's up? up time What do we have? Failed downs. Fail downs. Right. I'm going to put your time out timeout on Santos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network.
0: Somewhere out there, math teacher's school loans were forgiven, allowing her to focus on paying it forward, not back.
1: Somewhere out there, a parent is breathing easier, knowing their child's college education will cost a
0: little less. Somewhere out there, I hope scholarship just helped a student open the door to a brighter future.
1: And they all have players like you to thank for the $5.5 billion raised for education. Because every time someone plays the Tennessee Lottery, education wins. The Tennessee Education Lottery. Game-changing, life-changing fun. The traditional like four downs, blah, 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 and one day we thought we'd have fun to do fail downs. It has now taken over.
0: Fail downs, number one. First fail. We're going to go head to head today in fail downs. I'm going to ask you to pick between the two. What is a bigger fail? Is it Adam Gase finally admitting that he has failed himself to help Sam Darnold develop? I came here to help him, help him develop his career, and we haven't been able to do that, said Gase today, who is 7 and 20. And has provided over the NFL's worst offense for the better part of two seasons, or is it, speaking of worst offense, Sam Darnold last year, we chided him for saying <laughs> that once Chris Herndon was back, the tight end for the New York Jets, from injury, the offense would be, and I quote, unstoppable. In case you've been living under a rock, the Jets are
1: 0-11. I just want to state for the record that because we remembered that quote last year that we both tried to draft him and you beat me to the punch <laughs> and fantasy football is <laughs> our last true. pick of the of the draft just because of that quote and he is a championship tight end that nobody's ever heard of uh it's clearly adam Gase, and uh the fact that he's saying it i don't think makes anybody feel any better and i think that's the final known scott what what else was his job to do I don't, I don't know. He's, he was clearly good with Ron Tannehill, right? He was clearly good with some others. I, it's amazing to me when you get these quarterback uh, whisperers and all these people that are genius with that or a position, and you get them in a head coach, and it's just everything. I don't know if everything else overwhelms them or if they're just some people destined to be good at a particular thing, then that's all they have to worry about. But to me,
0: the fail is Adam Gase. Second fail. Samford schedules Division III Greenville University. I believe they're Division III. Yes, they are. I know the Division III level well, and I can tell you there is some decent basketball played there. In some places, there is some bad basketball played in other places. Actually, kind of of middle-of-the-road basketball is Greenville, if you look at the record last year, 14-13. and This is a team that led the nation with, I think I saw, 128 points per game last year. This was an exhibition with Samford. And the Bulldogs proceeded to put up 174 points. 174 points. And I thought even worse than going and trouncing the Division III side by 75 was a tweet after that said, Welcome to Buckyball. Your guy, Bucky, the new head coach down there. There's a much better Bucky in the SOCON, and it resides at ETSU. That kind of, quote-unquote, Buckyball, I'm not sure is exactly good for basketball. Um now, I'll say this about Greenville. They have scheduled a bunch of Division One. Some of these are not exhibition games. I think I saw that Illinois State last night, who put up 177, uh, so Sanford's not alone in this case, 177 against Greenville, 177 to 108 the final. Uh, they scheduled five at the beginning of the year. So Greenville may be asking for this just a little bit, but the welcome to Buckyball, I, I don't know, not a big fan of the tweet, not a big fan of the message. But there is perhaps a second Southern Conference men's basketball fail that tops that. Did you see Winthrop live? And they're trolling of the UNCG fans. Arga. <laughs> Mark Zanetta. All right, guy Mark. Can you please walk people through exactly what happened here? Because it's kind of convoluted in the sense that the game was supposed to be played, then wasn't played, but then was back on. And UNCG fans were just trashing Winthrop for being scared to play them. It,
1: it, it, it's honestly the, an unfairness and to everybody. And we saw this even with, like, uh, Kirk Herbstreit bought into it. like if, if there is a game canceled and somebody can't play, COVID is the excuse, right? It's the ultimate excuse for everything. And so what they've now – people have gone out and said is basically if uh, because of COVID, like Florida State and Clemson, like it's only because you're scared, you don't want to (laughs) play, you should forfeit, these games don't count. I mean, we saw at the high school level locally for Kingsport, Diamonds Bennett, and you can go look it up with TWSAA in a playoff game. But it's the number one thing that's sort of – kind of happening now if something happens. They end up getting the game played and then Winthrop ended up winning and then all the fan-based trash talk, which again, ETSU uh, probably leads the charge in fan-based trash talk, which I like. Mainly because ETSU backs it up. But uh, And sometimes they don't. But I like the fact that <laughs> you know the fans are going at it, went there. I thought that Winthrop did a nice job when they won. Right Now, if they would have lost... You know, did you jump on UNCG? I think most ETSU fans were pulling for UNCG. That's one of those type games you need UNCG to win, I think. After the game when it lost, I don't think anybody thought anything about it, but once the Winthrop Live sort of rehashed uh, all the trash talk between UNCG and Winthrop, then all of a sudden put the music and everything else. It was solid. It was, it was and, and most UNCG fans kind of clapped and was like, you know, hey, all right, you won that one. Uh, go. I thought the epic fail of that game was the fact that I had to listen to UNGC quite a bit mm. and UNC Greensville. <laughs> so oh, UNC so Green's the awesome worst part of that actual actual nice college mid-major basketball game was the fact that the announcer in the um Center had no idea what UNCG actually was or who they were or what they were. And, and I'm not just saying like epic like first few mentions. It was throughout the game and somewhere mid-second half – he figured out it is Greensboro. So you're saying be-
0: the fail is between Greenville University and UNC Greensville. <laughs> yeah, that, that,
1: that's what I think the, uh, the epic fail is. But I do applaud because I enjoy a good play. And and I have been one to jump on uh, some trash talk. From has, time to time. You don't do it. I don't, I've not done it in – I'm not nearly as uh, bad as I was years ago. <laughs> and and the first uh, round of social media when I figured out how to use it was bad for Jake. And so we we finally have, have backed off, and now I very rarely jump in unless some ignorant uh, fan says that a number ten Big Ten team would win by 25, right. which hasn't happened in like you know four decades against the Buck. So just uh, stupid ignorant you know Big Ten fan. Go.
0: Third fail. Let's get Andy Martino, Mets and Yankees beat writer. I think he should probably stick to writing, judging by this quote. Nutshell, winning the World Series isn't really a reasonable goal for a baseball team. It's a nice thing to have happen, and it's ultimately the top of the mountain. Uh, but a, a general manager and the head of a baseball operations department is more interested in putting a good process in place. The organizations that I mentioned in that tweet are the model organizations in the game. So I guess the head-to-head here would be trying to win a championship in your sport or trying to put together a good process. Jay Sandos, where do you stand on wanting to win? As someone that's a fan of sports and works in sports, I don't. Shouldn't that be the goal? Come on, Andy. What is? I don't. <laughs> he's getting
1: uh, bashed. I probably need. I probably need a little work. Like that, it was cut out a little bit. I, the whole was the whole context as as if he was a GM or or whatever it was, president, or whatever, and that th- he's putting themselves as they. All are egotistical to think that the process is more important. If you take the clip as is, it's it's obviously the dumbest thing you've ever heard. But I, I'm curious to like where the conversation was before that, because as a as a media guy, I try not to clip out when we have guests and stuff. I try not to clip out something that could be totally done out of context.
0: I've never done that either. Someone check to see if I still had a brain. It's
1: uh, that does not does not sound like you. <laughs> <laughs> but I. Clearly to win. I, I I can't imagine anybody that works in that business at that high level is like, you know what, we haven't been to playoffs in 20 years, but our process is really good. I mean, part of that process is winning, and so I would assume that winning is the goal, if that's what you're directly asking me. But I'm I'm curious to where the conversation was. And was it similar to, like, well, what do you think of these? And he's going, well, these GMs, it's more important that they put it in the process and they try to sell you on it. Well, yeah, because there's only one champion, and you got 32 or 30 GMs or whatever it is, and they're trying to save their job. So I get that part of it. But, yes, just taking that quote on face value, that is up there with one of the more head-scratching uh, dumb takes of all time.
0: I think that his main issue... Because I see where he's coming from. I think what he's saying is that a GM, his job is to put the processes in place so the team can go win. So their job isn't to go win the games. It's to put the process in place so the players can go win the games. But he said it's not a good goal to go and try and win a World Series. (sighs) That's everybody's goal. Yes, you want to get processes to go do that, but the ultimate goal is going to be winning a World Series, and yes, you can look at all the different things that a baseball organization does, and it's not, quote-unquote, all about winning, but if you're not trying to win the games, where's Herm Edwards when I need him? You play to win the game. The goal is going to be, when you're putting your processes into place, to go and win the World Series. And
1: and this is not an exact, probably nice uh, comparison, but ask LSU. They're terrible this year, their process has fallen, but they won a national title last year. They're gonna trade their national title for the process? How many how many how many how college football you know, coaches process? think they have a good process? How many ADs have a good process, but they don't have a national title? I mean LSU can say, Well the process is terrible. Like, what well, they're done. Who cares? They won a chance like that's that's what it is. I don't get I don't know I I, I get. I guess where you're coming from makes a little bit of sense They're just... no, I, I'm not coming
0: from there I'm just saying I think that's where he was coming from Don't don't lump me into this uh, yeah. Sorry Andy Martino Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber Fourth fail An airplane in my hometown Minneapolis, Minnesota Landed on a major metropolitan highway Overnight And the first witness to said account Said the plane was flying too low What is the bigger fail? Landing an airplane on a highway, thankfully it was at night, so it wasn't that busy of a highway, though it did hit a car. And also, what would your reaction be if your car got hit by an airplane on a highway? Is it that, the fact that it was landed on the highway, or is it the absolute obvious statement from the first person that saw it that said, boy, I think that plane might have been a bit too low?
1: And actually, I-81 not too long ago had a small aircraft. Like a little two seater type deal. Oh, well,
0: this wasn't a Boeing seven forty seven or anything. Right, right,
1: right. I had a small aircraft. I had to I had to make an emergency landing, but they called ahead and they tried to clear the road off. But I probably the first person that you know. <laughs> nice. That's what I'm going with is,
0: you know, uh, I think a little low. Yeah, I kid. I think it was a little low, Jay. Uh, well, it just doesn't look like an airport, so why would it be flying so low and land on the road? That just seems like that plane was too low, not high enough in the sky. Yeah, dear, I think this thing may
1: land on my head. I, you know, it probably needs to get a little higher. probably needs to be above the power lines. I could see somebody with the generic, yes, that's, that's like the, the person interview about the sound of the tornado, correct? <laughs> so, just saying.
0: Uh, I think it's time for bold predictions. Let's get at it.
1: Ooh. Am I winning? You're not. Tom no. Brady won't make that mistake again Antonio Brown to Tampa Absolutely Not gonna happen Play toxic Comeback player of the year Calling it right now
0: The season Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan To the National championship well, There's just no doubt the Southern Conference Will be playing football in 2021 Lake Forest L-O-L Steve Ford, Most certainly We'll be back in the blue and gold. JC Anders will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during quarantine. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard.
1: A simple wrong would have done just fine.
0: Do you want to even recap bold predictions from last week? We made three. Each of us had one go off the board because you said that Vanderbilt would lose to no beat Tennessee. They didn't play. And Baltimore-Pittsburgh, I made the prediction that those two offenses would combine for 55-plus, but that was before Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews were ruled out. Thankfully, I was saved on that one because I'm not sure even with those two and their entire complement, there is going anywhere north of 20 in that game. So we were both forgiven on that one. I did get one prediction correct. You did not get any predictions correct. You, for some reason, rode with Sam Darnold and Chris Herndon, as well as Adam Gase, who has failed to develop either into serviceable NFL players. By the way, Chris Herndon this year, 16 passes caught, 133 yards. So not sure the offense has gone from mediocre to unstoppable or whatever you would say that it was before Chris Herndon. I, I guess disgusting putrid, horrible whatever all the above you'd like to use. Uh, so I have one prediction correct because I had Jakiah Davis. I said eight freshmen would lead ECSU women's basketball in scoring in their first game. That happened with Ja'Kia. Uh, also said the Brewers would put up 100 points or more in the Gulf Coast Showcase. They got 72, came up a bit short there. And you said men's basketball would average 75 or more. Much to our surprise, the defense is ahead of the offense. Are you going first or am I going first? I get to decide. Go ahead. All right, going first. I'm going to do college
1: basketball Sunday. Sunday, the, Sunday. The winless Golden Eagles of Tennessee Tech will go into Coloey. The 2-0 Catamounts, which will probably be 3-0 because they play a 9-D-1 Thursday night tonight. Thursday when we record this. So they will be 3-0. I'm going with the upset. The Golden Eagles will go to Culloway and pick up a victory.
0: Let me ask you this. Are you prepared to do season-long predictions for men's and women's basketball? I will be next week. Okay, you will be next week. I will save my season-long predictions. So I have just uh, two predictions then because I was going to make an ETSU men's basketball prediction When I gave you a news update about said game that was going to be happening, that game is no longer happening, and so my prediction is no longer happening. And I don't want to have to have another one forgiven like we did this last time. Uh, Wisconsin, on the football field, is going to drill Indiana by at least two and a half times the spread. I saw it at 14 points. It's going to be 35 or more. No Michael Penix for the Hoosiers, who is their quarterback. Very mobile, agile, hostile. But this week will be none of the above. Neither will Indiana, who are outperforming every college football season that I remember from them, and growing up around the Big Ten because of the University of Minnesota when I was up there. I'm quite sure I'm remembering most of those seasons. Indiana has never been good, will never be good, is not good now, and they will compete by 35 or more by Wisconsin. You're going to love this one. Okay. Monday, 5 p.m., your guy, your guy,
1: Alex Smith and the Washington football team is not will gonna. defeat the Pittsburgh
0: Steelers. Get out of here.
1: Straight up dub.
0: Sounds like you love Alex Straight Smith more than I love up. Alex Smith, and that's hard to do. I was
1: actually one of the few people in the building when his leg was broke against Houston Texans in disgusting fashion. And Could you hear it from your
0: seat? I
1: was in a suite. Ooh. No. And Matt Willjum kept trying to get me to uh, stare at the monitor to see it again. <laughs> but I was too busy trying to make googly eyes with Wes Welker, who was the— wide receivers coach for Houston and was up in the booth, and I was trying to get him to shout out I love New England, although he would not. So, But, yes, the uh, I'm going with Alex Smith in the ultimate upset of the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: I'll bring it back full circle here. So you have the Alex Smith injury there in a division race against three other terrible teams, one of which is Dallas. What leg injury was more ugly, Dak Prescott or Alex Smith? Dak Alex. Prescott's was pretty bad.
1: It was. I'm going to go Alex Smith
0: pretty ugly, too. Uh, my last prediction is about uh, fantasy football. Uh, you beat me 58-37 in our Whoa, league. Say, that, say, say the score again, because everyone 58 needs to hear how bad this was. 58-37. It was Thanksgiving week. The Bucks were starting their season four days. A lot games of excuses. Four days. Out of here. I just didn't realize Kenny Galladay wasn't going to be playing. Now, I still didn't have an entire other team to trot out now, but then you see, here's what happened. So, we don't have a flex spot in our league, and so... Who's I would have played – uh, okay, I might be the commissioner. Austin Eckler <laughs> and Naheem Hines were both starters named on, like, Friday or Saturday. Well, I have J.D. McKissick, who is going up against the garbage Dallas Cowboys, and I was like, wow, I think he's going to dump off left, dump off right. Alex Smith loves throwing. Got a lot of Alex Smith conversations. This is fantastic in this last segment. Uh, Alex Smith loves throwing to his running backs, and so it's going to be J.D. McKissick all day. I'm going to skim over the fact that J.D. McKissick only had three points. I would have put in Eckler or Hines if I knew that they were starting. But Jonathan Taylor went to the COVID list like Saturday, and Austin Eckler—they weren't, weren't going to activate him until like Sunday morning from IR. He had been out like eight weeks. Anyway, point being, I am six and six in three fantasy leagues. I'm in five total, because you know oh I'm that—you know I'm that guy.
1: <laughs> You're six and six and three. Really? You have five.
0: I have five. I'm in the playoffs in one. The other, I had like the most unbelievable roster in the history of fantasy football, and I managed to go uh, four and eight through twelve weeks. Uh, because of injuries and just complete, horrid mismanagement. Six and six in three fantasy leagues. I am going to say, oh, I just lost Will Fuller in one of those. Not right. sure. Well, yeah, because, yeah, no, you know, you no, get whatever. yourself suspended yeah, sure. right when I need you for fantasy football. Mm-hmm. I know I sound like that fantasy football fan right now. Six and six, I'm going to make the playoffs in all three. I'm still alive for playoffs in all three. I step up in the clutch. I get it done going to this weekend. Seven and six in all the three leagues. I'll be in four leagues in the playoffs going into the next week. You can't say that, Jay Sandos.
1: Well, one not? i he's be in 2
0: <laughs> five leagues, number one. And I'm out of the playoffs
1: in one, and in the playoffs in the other. So there you go. I'm, no, I'm the. You are technically still alive and early. Uh, I'm not. I,
0: I may. I mean, if you read my two-page breakdown of playoff like, scenarios today, uh, yes, 1,472 words because I have a lot to do. All basketball isn't being played. Then you saw. But you wrote one. That sentence, you are still alive. It was like one sentence. Like I um, said, you need a lot of help as a person, and even more help as a fantasy team. Believe was there you go. So I feel I feel I do not feel good about that. Okay. I have the
1: second most points. Actually, I have the most points scored in my other league, but I am the number two seed uh, in that because evidently everybody I play scores a lot of points. But that doesn't matter. I, I would never make a fantasy football take for bold prediction.
0: So just for the sake of the take. So we're clear, i got to win all three of those leagues. And the teams are 6 and 6, and that's mm-hmm. having just lost Will Fuller in one of the leagues, who is my best receiver, you know, not very likely. Why would you never make a prediction like that? Because <sighs> your teams are terrible and you're a horrible manager. And you need help as well, a person I mean, and I, more so. Can as I man. predict
1: how terrible I'm going to be? Yeah, absolutely. Like fantasy baseball, I might be the worst fantasy <laughs> baseball owner of all time. That's true. I don't know that I've finished not last in every year. Do football. you have another prediction? I do. I do. I'm actually uh, this week in coming up on UFC Fight Night. I know you're excited about that. Ovin St. Pru is plus. Me? Yeah. Oven St. No. Oh. OSP. Let's just say OSP. Okay. Awesome. Uh, the upstart, Jamal Hill, 7-0, knockout king that he is. is going to take on the grappler, and the grappler is going to wear him down and avoid the knockout and win. And he is a decisive underdog. And so OSP, who has an extra, like, 30 fights under his belt. The OVC wins. And they, he is going to upset Oven St. Prue, who seems to be a better underdog fighter than a favorite. He is going to pull off. An upset over the upstart Jamal Hill, which should be an entertaining fight, and a clash of two styles. This is either going to end very quickly and very bad for my guy, or it will go the distance and he will win.
0: So, what have we talked about today? Fake news, UFC, mm-hmm. fantasy football, Alex Smith more than we Alex ever should. Yes, <laughs> uh, I think we should dedicate an fantasy, hour and, to Alex Smith. Uh, my fantasy football. Uh, no, uh, managing this is serious stuff here, Jay. Come on, get serious. Yes, you
1: 1,400-word um, thing about playoffs. So and Andy Martino
0: and Sam Darnold and Greenville University and an airplane landing on a highway. I think we covered all the bases that. Sound of a tornado? Uh, yeah, Tony Tornado, Mountain Dew. Great sponsor. Ah, ETSU. You know, the good thing is is that uh, we didn't have any games this weekend to talk about, so we'll try
1: to get back to basketball on Monday. What do you think of that? We'll try. Well, that's right. We don't know if you can talk or not by then. Monday or Tuesday. Monday or Tuesday. We'll be back with you. Sandos and the sidekick. Hope you have a good weekend. I'm the Buccaneers for my work. Cowboy up and go play ball.